Hello, my little elves. This is Music, Movies, and Moods. I'm Noe, and this is a podcast journal for me to talk about what I think is magic and mystifying and memeable about the media I consume. This is our Christmas episode. Imagine sleigh bells and mm, a crackling fire. And let's talk. I have another something old and something new. The music this time is new. It only came out in October of this year. And the movie is old, but it's a Christmas classic. And I really want to talk about it. The album is The Hand That Fits the Glove by Faith Healer. I do not see enough people talk about Faith Healer. And in fact, their plays on Spotify, for me are not good enough for how good this album is, okay? So the album came out on October 13th, 2023, and Faith Healer consists usually, I see like a duo mentioned a lot of the time, of Jessica Jalbert and, is it Renee? Is it Rennie Wilson? I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. But the album cover I I think is striking. It's like a Japanese uh, ink brush painting with some yellow in there. It's like a face created by these amorphous and also nature-like objects. You see a mountain and a road and some trees. I think it's very dreamlike, and so is a lot of the album. I actually couldn't find the song lyrics until just now, when I decided to click the Bandcamp link. Imagine that. So embarrassing. I've just been on Spotify, and when I see that little microphone now, I frantically press it. Because there's nothing better to me than listening to a song and looking at the lyrics. It's like you're fully engaged in the album, like you're fully experiencing it. The album cover has that manuscript font as well that we've been seeing a lot lately. Faith Healer is from Edmonton, Alberta, up in Canada. Hey, Canada. I really find Jessica's voice to be almost hypnotic, almost like meditative. It's never jarring. It's never in your face or or too much and dreamlike. I think dreamlike is is the way I'm going to describe a lot of this album, but I don't want dreamlike to make it seem like it's not grounded in any real feeling because there's a lot of feeling coming from this album in general. So the first song, The Game, this is rare for me with first songs, but I love this the more I listen to it. It really sets the tone with with this with the like trance like repeating of the game. The game it doesn't get old. I've mentioned T Rex before, uh, singing the title over and over. I don't get that with this. It feels so purposeful. It also when I was first listening to it, it felt like a person so exhausted. You know, when you're truly tired from something, like the character is of what they call the game. I understand repeating that over and over. And this song has that first mention of a hand. I've I've noticed hands and eyes and the color blue mentioned several times over the course of the album. And this song really is so gentle and soft. I love the line, the hand that held your cup won't let you go and fill it up. (gasps) Powerful. Next is Another Fool, which was a single. And that's definitely the one that got me hooked on the album. It's more upbeat. It's more energetic than a lot of the album. And I like the humor and the sass. I think it has kind of like a train-like rhythm. The echoing beats in this one really remind me of a steam train. The third song, Grind, 
is another one of my absolute favorites that I just keep playing over and over again. The guitar creates this really jazzy sound for the song. It really reminds me of Japanese jazz from like the 70s and 80s. The line, eating my toast and raspberry jam, and another mention of hand. I think it's a really sensual song, personally. And there's a Sisyphus reference. For some reason, I think the internet has used Sisyphus in memes more than any other uh, Greek mythological character. The next song, Green Velvet, is really pleasant and soft, and there's a yearning, sad feeling throughout. The, the layers of acoustic and electric guitar, there's like fuzz and synth, are all kind of layered in such a way that I often think my phone is ringing when I'm listening to this song. I think that's more a me problem than anything, but I don't think it's the strongest on the album, but it's certainly worth a listen. It's pretty. The Hand That Fits the Glove actually is my favorite. I know I keep saying favorite a lot, but this one actually is. This is the title song. It feels kind of medieval to me. I can see her at the top of a foggy hill as she looks on sadly. And fog is mentioned in the song, so that does make sense. I definitely notice a theme of control, but maybe it's just more perceived control than anything. Themes of feeling imprisoned. To me, it's very Kate Bush. The violins at the end build to this, like, emotional wave. Really can't stop listening to it. The next track, I'm a Dog, is another one of the singles. And I think you get what you ask for here. She's a dog. (laughs) I do like this one. I think it adds more themes of like pain and healing. And I don't know. I think she sounds resigned to being a dog. It's kind of dizzying. The song is kind of dizzying. I'm a dog. You can try. The next song, Stranger. I love Stranger. This one's bluesier than the rest of the songs, but the vocals are still very restrained. There's a guitar lead that's pretty cool as hell. And the song moves towards this like unhinged place. Also, there's a devil laugh at the end. You should look forward to that at the end of the song. (laughs) It's like that. Actually, this one kind of has a Santana-y sort of feel. I like it. And then the last song, 2020, is very plucky and rhythmic. I love the, I love the layered vocals. And it's, I wrote down maddening. I love the fuzzy drums. And let's be honest, any mention of 2020 is going to be a callback to a pretty horrible and significant year. So I can only imagine what these lyrics mean to the group. If you don't know Faith Healer, please listen and buy merch. I was on Bandcamp and I saw some vinyl records for sale. I mean, gosh, go wild and buy an MP3. (laughs) There's no time like the present. I mean, you can even get the album on cassette if you want to do something like that. If for some reason cassettes are nostalgic to you, if owning a crappy little piece of plastic that breaks almost immediately is fun for you, you're still supporting them. It's time for the movie segment. And this time the movie is Christmas related. I know I said, oh, this is the Christmas special, but then the album wasn't Christmassy. I was actually looking for Christmas albums that sounded at all interesting to me this year, and nothing did it. But you are getting Home Alone from 1990. Now, this was actually recommended to me by my friend Lupe. Shout out to Lupe. It is his favorite Christmas movie. My favorite Christmas movies are The Muppet Christmas Carol and Scrooged. 
But I somehow had never seen Home Alone, despite it being a classic that's constantly referenced. And I watched it on Disney Plus with ads. This world, I swear. Some of the ads were for that new Willy Wonka movie or the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. I'm not, I actually am even not going to Google it. I'm not going to look it up because it just, it's full of excellent actors, but it looks joyless to me personally. And I'm never going to get over the fact that Pedersen Joseph, who was Johnson on Peep Show, is in the movie, but he's not Willy Wonka. I'm telling you right now, he would be the perfect Willy Wonka. And I can't do anything about that, and I feel powerless. So I didn't know that Home Alone was a John Hughes movie. I'm not a huge John Hughes fan, and I saw Christopher Columbus in there too, so we're seeing some big names already. And I have to say, the movie has just a lot of competent kid writing. I mean, definitely there are a lot of lines that are a bit precocious, like, okay, would a kid really say that? But overall, it was in line with a lot of other great, kids media from the time. Speaking of which, I noticed Big Pete. I saw him. I was referring to him as Elder Pete because I forgot that in Pete and Pete, I guess he was Big Pete. That's cute. John Williams' score is really fun in this. I noted it as naughty, (laughs) which is funny, and I think it works. Also, this is timely because Macaulay Culkin just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So I want to make note of some general thoughts that I don't think really fit in magic mystifying memeable, okay? If we need to pick someone in the family who is to blame for Macaulay Culkin or Kevin being left at home, it's Buzz. It's Buzz's fault because he was randomly yelling out numbers while the other sister was counting kids. The parents can't be blamed for that. There are too many children. They're bl- it's, that's their fault, but the counting part is not their fault. I made a prediction that the old man was going to help him at the end. I know, I'm a genius for that. I was right. Also, did anyone else who hasn't memorized this movie spot Karen Culkin as Fuller? I can spot a Culkin a mile away, just like an Olsen, and a Murray, and a Deloise. Also, here's a connection between this movie and The Hand That Fits the Glove by Faith Healer. Faith Healer is Canadian. Catherine O'Hara, Canadian. That's the connection. So I didn't watch Home Alone as a kid. I probably relegated it to this really specific, but hard for me to describe category of movies or entertainment that I called like boy movies. I can't get into it because I haven't thought about it that much, but I'm certain that's true. And also I was terrified that I was going to be left somewhere by my parents. Okay. Now, I can confirm that as an adolescent, my dad did lose me at the art fair. However, this was before cell phones, and it was really crowded, and it all worked out. It was more like a misunderstanding. I misunderstood where he was, and he misunderstood where I was. So, no hard feelings there. So let's get to what I felt was magical about Home Alone. First of all, they're all being really mean to Kevin about how needy he is. He's eight. By the way, he's eight years old. But then throughout the whole movie shows how independent he is. Like, he walks to the grocery store, putting on his aftershave, screaming a lot. And I imagine his time as a homeowner in the movie, while all of his family is in Paris, would be a dream for a kid. And it's so cute, too, how he has a kid palette. Like, he has to have cheese pizza 
and he makes macaroni and cheese and a glass of milk for himself. Adorable. Those are true kid details. I absolutely loved the casting of the movie. There are about a million memorable one-liners from this one movie, and it never slows down. I don't think you can get bored watching Home Alone. And I will say, I was expecting, I don't know, 70% of the movie to be the slapstick and setting up traps for the two burglars. And thankfully, it wasn't. There was a real actual plot there. And I like slapstick. And I'm going to get to all the memeable stuff, which is mostly Joe Pesci. But I thought the balance was great. I loved the scene where he gets scared watching the movie and yells, Mom! And then Catherine O'Hara wakes up on the plane and she's looking through her purse. And you would think that I would be bothered by how obviously loaded the family is because that house is huge. It's gigantic. But I will say, at least they have a ton of kids to, f- to fill out some of the house. I mean, they, people have had five to six children in like one room, but at least it made more sense to own a big house like that if you can afford it. There are a lot of theories online about how they afforded it. I saw one theory about the dad being involved in crime or something. I don't know. I think the folks are just loaded. They should have just said that they were both highly paid lawyers just to help us out. Just tell us why they're so rich. And that house the whole family was in in Paris? The uncle's rich too. Another thought I had while watching it is that if the movie were made today, it would be straight up all CGI. Every part, you know, where they're hanging on the rope to go to the treehouse, that would have all been CGI. So I thought the movie largely was magic. It gets the magic stamp of approval from me. Mystifying. They took how many kids to Paris? Was that necessary? I'm not sure. And then did they even have any trips planned? Because the kids were all bored by the time they got to that. What what was that? A home? An apartment? But that many kids to Paris? I'd accidentally leave one too. Okay, the joke that Buzz makes about French women's armpits. Buzz, you literally wish that you had luxurious pit hair, okay? Also, it's so funny to me how kids in one family in a movie or a TV show won't look anything alike. But technically, that does happen in real families, so I guess I can't be too mad about it. Now, how long was Joe Pesci in their house dressed like a cop before anyone thought, uh, Aunt so-and-so, I can't remember the parents' names, there's a cop in your foyer. You should go check it out. And then the pizza, the pizza delivery kid just stands there inside. He's getting the royal treatment. I saw those pizzas would be like 300 bucks today. Of course they would, of course. And this isn't mystifying. This just made sense to me. But Kevin's terror of the gravity furnace or the octopus furnace in the basement? Warranted. They were terrifying. They look like big fingers. He had every right to be afraid of it. And I don't even like as an adult being in my basement. And I don't even have a gravity furnace. And this is mystifying. Why did they bother decorating the house they weren't going to even be home for Christmas? Were they opening presents at home after? The house is filled with poinsettias and covered in Christmas lights. I would understand saying, well, let's decorate because we don't want people to know we're out of the house. But, But that didn't work because every kid in the family took turns telling Joe Pesci that they weren't going to be home for Christmas. Just go ahead and rob us. Yeah, thank you. At one point, someone, it might have been Kevin, says, 
eating rubbish. I've never said that. I would probably say garbage or trash, but there must be other parts of America that say rubbish. And can we all agree that when that shelf breaks on him, he'd be dead, right? That would have taken him down fully. I didn't think the joke about, is this American Dental uh, Association approved? I didn't think that scene was cute. It's like, does he even brush his teeth most of the time? He doesn't care about that. Be real. Was anyone else worried that the movie was just giving burglars ideas? Oh, and back to that, like, hotel, apartment, home in Paris. It was overlooking the Eiffel Tower, which is a good way of telling everyone watching they're in Paris. But it's kind of telling all the adults that these people are richer than you will ever know. So did he clean up the house before his mom got there? Because he put tar on the steps. All I could think when he was doing that was like, that stuff's never coming off. You would definitely have to scrape that off. How do you even remove tar? I don't know. So much property damage. Truly. Memeable? Here's what I thought was memeable. First of all, Joe Pesci. Period. He's one of the many who say the movie title. He's home alone. They were really all saying the movie title a lot the whole time. But what else would you say? He's by himself in our house. It doesn't have the same ring to it. I thought John Candy being there was memeable. I had absolutely no idea he was in the movie. When he was, I wrote down John Candy with a little heart. Because that's the effect he has on people. I loved the polka Christmas music. And I couldn't stop laughing when he was playing, I think he was playing the clarinet, and he turned to Catherine O'Hara in the van and was like, do you play? Which is how you offer someone your food at a party, you know, to try. That was hysterical. So Kevin eventually seeks refuge in the church, like Esmeralda in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I'm not sure if that's mystifying or memeable, but that plot with the old man was really sweet. I wasn't expecting something so sweet in the movie. I thought it was just going to be like a kid creates deadly obstacle course out of his big home against two thieves, you know? But that was so sweet because it worked out. It made up a little bit for the whole child resigning himself to having to defend his home against burglars. I thought that was kind of grim personally, but that could technically be memeable. The scene with the tarantula and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern was so good. Daniel Stern holding, I think it was like a shovel over Joe Pesci when he wakes up from being unconscious. Joe Pesci just says, what are you doing, man? Very good. Very good. And obviously the scene where they're in the cop car and Joe Pesci has that swollen eye and he's like glaring at Kevin as Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas plays is iconic, of course. So if they hadn't left Kevin at home to fend for himself, For a couple days, but the whole family continued to just be really mean to him because he's eight and they were really giving him a hard time for what, like literally spilling some milk in the kitchen and causing some trouble. Like he ruined their entire Christmas for that. Like you're going to Paris. You'll be fine. And I do think Catherine O'Hara was a little hurt by his words. I kind of wanted to tell her he's a child. He's kind of just saying whatever inflammatory thing he can say to be dramatic. And I would be dramatic too if my entire extended and immediate family were giving me dirty looks all at once in the kitchen. 
because I ruined pizza dinner or whatever. But hey, he got Buzz's respect, right? And that's all really all that matters. Buzz was excellent. All the kids were great. Despite the fact that, yet again, we're going to have this talk. I don't think kids should be in show business. I don't think kids should be put through this. We're lucky Macaulay Culkin is still here to tell his tale, because I can't imagine how many years of therapy he and so many other people need to have from being an actor or an entertainer as a child. Kids should just be in school and with their families and doing kid stuff. They shouldn't have to go through all the insane stuff you deal with basically having a full-time job in the public eye. And I don't know how that would work. I don't know how the implementation of this would work, but I do kind of feel it strongly. I'm going to get down off my soapbox for a minute because I want to talk about a single that has me so excited for the full album, and that's MGMT's Bubblegum Dog. Oh my word. Go have a listen. It's funny, when I was first aware of their existence, this was back when I was in college, I really didn't like them. And then the past few years, they've totally changed my mind, and I have really nothing but respect. The full album doesn't come out until February of next year, so I guess I'll just struggle until then. But I can't wait. I'm definitely going to talk about it when it does come out. Really can't stop listening to that. And also, pretty much just because of a random Lemmy video I came across on YouTube, can't stop listening to Everything She Wants by Wham. So let's talk about mood. How's my mood? I've just been doing a lot of thinking lately, so contemplative is probably a good way to describe it. Some brooding. There's always going to be some brooding. But I'm hanging in there. I'm a Sagittarius, so my birthday is coming up. And I'm kind of excited for it. I'm grateful for another year on this big blue marble. Christmas just seems to be speeding towards me this year. But I think when the time comes, I'll have everything ready and I can just relax and play a bunch of Pokemon because the new DLC is coming out. By the time this episode is out, I will already have been playing it. But as I'm sure a lot of people are doing right now, I'm thinking about the new year and Christmas is past. And I guess I'm just trying to do things a little differently this year. I even decorated the tree differently this year. I feel like the pandemic marked the end of one chapter and the start of a new one for me. So I keep thinking, what does this chapter mean or signify or what does it have in store for me? You know, what can I make happen in this new chapter? And it's been emotional, I won't lie. But I do think life just kind of has a way of surprising you. And I think it's always helpful to reevaluate things during the holidays. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the Christmas special. I want to wish everyone who's listening a happy holidays. And as usual, if you made it this far, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And we'll talk soon.